Morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing? All right, not bad for a rainy Sunday morning. Well, it is good for uh, good for you uh, good for you to be here. It's good to be here, and I'm glad that you're here too. I hope it's good for you to be here. Uh, but we're so thankful that you're here. And uh, one of the things that we're starting today, we've talked about it for the last few weeks, is we're starting next steps, our next steps class today. And so if you are interested in kind of growing in your walk with God, if you're interested in learning more about the, the vision and, and heart of City Walk, and there's, it's a four-week class and it starts today, 15 minutes after the service. Uh, it'll be over in the children's room. Uh, and so we have child care available. So for those of you that need another half hour away from your kids, this is your opportunity to get an extra half hour. And so 15 minutes after the service, uh, we'll be over there. And the class only lasts about 25 or 30 minutes uh, each Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do starting today uh, after uh, the, the service today. This, this time of year, and I was thinking about it, uh, we had an actual Easter planning meeting uh, this past week. And it seems like the year is, is moving pretty quick, and before you know it, uh, it is going to be Easter, and then some of you have kids that are going to be graduating, and it'll be graduation time. And so around those holidays, like Easter or those big events like graduation, there's one thing that families try to do that is in some ways a lot like spending eternity in hell for 10 minutes, and that is taking a family photo. For those of you that have taken, tried to take a family photo with your children, you understand that, wow, that does not, it's not as fun as it looks in the picture afterwards. But, but you'll try to take a family photo, maybe at Easter, uh, we'll actually have some, a place here where you can take photos, but, but you'll get a photo on Easter Sunday, you'll probably get a photo if you have somebody graduating from high school or college, man, you'll get the family together, you'll bribe your kids to smile, you'll pinch them if you need to, and you'll, you'll try to get that perfect family photo. But here's what's good, even if it's not a perfect family photo, in, in our day and age with technology, you can make it look like a perfect family photo. If you don't like how your husband looked in the picture, you can just remove his face and replace it with his face from another picture that he, where he looked better. If your kid is making a really, really bad face or flicking the camera off, you can fix that digitally and you can make it look like, man, he was praying in the picture. You, you can do whatever you want to do. You can filter it any way you want to filter it so that it comes out exactly the way you want it to so you can post it on Instagram and we all think you have a perfect family. Back a few years ago when I was growing up, it wasn't quite like that. And some of you remember, you would take your pictures, then you would take the film out and you would drop it off at a grocery store, a Walmart, or a Walgreens. And, and at first it, it took a few days and then we got really far technologically and you could come back in an hour and look at your photos. You remember those days? They would give you this little envelope and, and it, you, you couldn't filter it. You couldn't change it. It was like you dropped it off and hoped that when you got the folder back with pictures that there were a handful of good ones in it. I remember when my mom, uh, when I graduated high school, my mom didn't have like a good camera. And so my mom this was kind of actually embarrassing. My mom was the mom at like baccalaureate, baccalaureate and, and graduation with the, the portable camera, like the disposable one. And, and she, you know, the one that you had to like crank to get to the next picture. Everybody else with like their thousand dollar cameras down front. My mom's down in the middle. 
and you know, then you can drop that thing off and man, you get your pictures. And, and so that's kind of how it was. But, but today it's not like that. Today you can filter it, you can change it, and basically you can make it look however you want it to look. And if you've been kind of tracking with us over the first few weeks of our church, we've actually talked about how in many ways we do the same thing with Jesus. We kind of have an Instagram version of Jesus that we filter to make fit what we want him to fit. And we filter him to kind of make him the version of Jesus that we want him to be. And we, what we usually do is we make him fit kind of our preferences, our way of life. He always agrees with us. He's on our team. We're on his team. He likes our politics. We like his politics. And we kind of make him fit into our little picture. And we all have a filter we look at Jesus through. You may look at Jesus through kind of the activist filter, like you think Jesus is always out there with a picket sign, and man, he's getting after things, and, 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 and that's maybe the, the Jesus that you think of. Maybe you, you filter Jesus through like angry Jesus filter, and he's, a, he's, he's always mad at you, and if you get out of line, he's going to kind of, like, like in the video, those little video games where you kind of hit the things, um, you think that's kind of what Jesus is, and he's kind of like the angry Jesus, Maybe you look at Jesus and he's kind of the cuddly, cute version that kind of you just kind of hook on your tool belt and you kind of take him with you. He always makes you feel good inside. And maybe that's the version of Jesus that you have and the one that you kind of filter him to be. But here's what we know when we look at the actual Jesus. And we've talked about this over the first few weeks of City Walk. That honestly, the actual Jesus is really a disruptive force. When you unfilter Jesus, you actually look at a Jesus who was very and is very disruptive. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, he was so disruptive to ideas. He was disruptive to the religious systems of the day. He always hung out with the people that you weren't supposed to hang out with. He never got mad at the stuff that the religious crowd said you were supposed to get mad at. And he frustrated the religious people because he was so disruptive to their system. Jesus is extremely disruptive, but now, 2,000 years later, we have sanitized him. And we've kind of taken him and we've kind of made him fit kind of the clean, nice, cute version kind of that we want Jesus to be. But how did 2,000 years ago, he turned the world upside down and now we've taken this disruptive, loving Jesus, and we've kind of made him cute and cuddly and kind of fit in our box. See, the truth is, Jesus will never and can never be controlled and cornered, and, and he, he can't be a little thing that we use to manipulate people with that puts him in too small of a box, but that's what we've done, and that's how we filtered him. And there's no more disruptive or dramatic moment kind of in the Gospels than we see in what we're going to look at today in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus does something, and he's, he's not far from when he's going to go to the cross, but he does something that changes the way his disciples look at him and changes the way this whole movement was going to move going forward. See, in Palestine, where, where Jesus was, uh, and if you're not a foot person, this might gross you out. But back in those days, they obviously didn't have cars. And uh, most people didn't have a donkey that they rode on. And most of the cities weren't far, you know, a mile or two miles away. And so 
they, the, the people, what they would do is they would mainly walk everywhere they went. And they didn't have paved roads. And so it was pretty dusty and hot. And so feet were nasty. Like when you, when you got somewhere and you had walked through the hot, dusty kind of sand and all that. And you were going to somebody's house. Your feet were nasty. And you wore sandals, so it wasn't like you, you didn't even have Crocs on. I mean, you just had basic sandals, like whatever Bible sandals look like, that's what you had. And so they didn't protect your feet, they didn't protect it from the dust, so you had some nasty feet. And so what would happen when you were invited over to someone's house for dinner is one of the ways they would honor you is they would provide a servant to wash the feet of everyone that was there. So I don't know if you like drew the short end of the straw if you were the servant they got to wash people's feet this week but but that's what they would provide and so Jesus he was gathering his guys kind of his disciples uh, for dinner one night and it's it's a dinner that that we know is the last supper and so he gathered these men and and these guys that had followed him for three years and he gathered them around the table for this special dinner. They didn't understand how special it was. But it was literally just hours before Jesus would go and be arrested and then go to the cross. And as they're sitting down for dinner, everyone kind of starts looking around. and like, well, no servants. So I guess we're just all going to have, it's all dudes. So I guess we'll just all have dirty feet tonight. That's all right. But then Jesus does something in John chapter 13 as, as everybody seated, seated down and, and they're seated, seated. Is there an English teacher in the house? Because you're hating me right now. They all sat down for dinner and as they're beginning to eat, Jesus gets up and look with me at John chapter 13 and see what he does. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he knew Things were about to change. He knew everything was going to end soon. He knew this ministry was coming to a close. He knew it. Nobody else did. So as they're sitting, seated for dinner, it says he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so as everybody's kind of looking to see, hey, who's going to do, is anybody going to wash our feet? Jesus gets up, kind of takes off his nice, whatever is nice, and kind of puts a towel around him, and he gets water, and he kneels down at his disciples' feet, and he begins to wash their feet. He takes on what a servant, or in this day, they would even say a slave would do. Jesus began to wash their feet. And these disciples, they had watched Jesus. They had walked with him for three years. They had watched him disrupt things because of his love and his grace. He had turned the idea of greatness on its side by now showing them what a true great person was and how servanthood was the way to greatness. And now just a few hours before he would literally go and give his life and, and, and really show the ultimate picture of, of service and love, he gets water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet as a picture and an example to them. And then after he's done, he's done washing their feet and they're, they're continuing to eat. And again, they don't have a clue what's about to go down. Jesus says something to them that will change the movement going forward. 
He says in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples or my followers. If you have love for one another. Jesus says this this whole thing. Everything that you've seen, everything that you've watched, this thing comes down to one idea, and it is how you love one another. That is how 2,000 years from now, that is how tomorrow people will know that you're a follower of me if you have love for one another. And so maybe you're sitting there saying, you know what, so you're telling me that this whole thing comes down to love? No, Jesus is. What, what, what about rules? What about commandments? What about sin? Like, isn't there a place for, for dealing with that? And I mean, is it all about love? And isn't love too soft? What, what about all those things? See, what Jesus said is so brilliant because we have honestly lost love as our primary filter for how we see sin. And, and for Jesus... He was never light on sin and heavy on love. You didn't get one without the other. We like to compartmentalize like, man, if you're really loving, you're probably soft on sin. And Jesus said, no, 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 you actually see love through the filter. Or you see sin through the filter of love. And this idea changes the game. Because many of you, you were brought up in a system where you saw sin through a list. And if you stayed off of this list, you were okay. But if you got on the big list, like you were looked down on. There was usually in in, in your religious upbringing, you, you probably had a couple lists. There was the kind of acceptable sin list. And then there was like the big five. Maybe in your system you had a big seven. Maybe it was a big four. But but. There was like the acceptable list, and that was like gluttony and gossip, and, and you, could, you could get away with that. Nobody was going to get too upset at you. But then you had the big list, and, and the big list was, and it, it was different for each maybe religious movement, but, but there was always four or five things on that list that, man, if you got involved in this, Man, you were in deep trouble, and you got looked down on, and this was, man, you got despised. You, you may not even feel welcome to come to church if you got involved in the big list. If you're a glutton or a gossip, we'll let you come to church, but man, if you do one of these big ones, you, you might have to do a few things before you can even come to church. And that's kind of how we saw it. Jesus said, you know what, let me, let me change this game. Let me change it and let me say this, that you know what? How people will know that you're my followers is how you love other people. See, love is the filter for how we see sin. And and here's because some of you are getting really nervous right now. And and just hold on with me. But, But here's what I mean. See, God loves you at a level that you can't understand. Like if you have children, you love them deeply, but to another level that you can't even comprehend, God loves you. He created you in his image. He knows what's best for you. That's why sin is such a big deal to him. You're like, yes, I was waiting for you to say that. 
why sin is such a big deal to, to Jesus is because it hurts the people that he loves so deeply. And so he sees everything through this filter and he's challenging us as, hey, you should see and respond to sin through the filter of love. Sin is a really big deal because God had a perfect relationship with man and then man said, I have a better idea. And because of that, sin entered the world and it began to wreak havoc. It began to destroy. It began to hurt. It began to kill because sin always kills things. And because of that, the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, for some of you, you're new to church, it's kind of that first half of your Bible if you read through the New Testament, it's almost like every single book in the, in the Old Testament is kind of pointing to something. It's pointing to this maybe bigger idea that, hey, this relationship with God, with God was broken because man thought they had a better plan than God. And because of that, the relationship with God is broken and hurt and pain and destruction entered the world. And the Old Testament points that say, says one day a deliverer is coming, a redeemer is coming, someone that will take the relationship with God and heal it. And Jesus says, that was me. That's why I came. I came to take care of sin. And because I came to take care of sin and its penalty, you can begin to look at sin differently. And you can look at sin through the filter of love, not the filter of list. Because you, you, you like, maybe, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't grow up in this, but a lot of people grew up in a system where the currency that people used to manipulate you about sin was fear. And so you were taught, man, don't have sex before you get married because you might get a disease. And, and, and you're right, you might get a disease, but that was kind of the, all right, if we can just scare them enough, then they'll, they'll be good. Or man, if you, if you kind of take a, a left and you do some things that aren't, aren't pleasing to God and you're unfaithful to God, he's going to make your life hard. He's going to mess you up. And so, man, we tried to use fear. Man, if we can just scare them enough. And here's what we learned. That didn't work. Because eventually they're not scared anymore. And if the only thing anchoring people to Jesus is fear, that will not last. And, and, and Jesus, as he's coming, and he's, he's literally turning the religious system on its head because they have worked so hard to keep God happy with them by keeping a list, by keeping the law. And he said, hey, this whole thing now comes down to this one idea of how you love others. And, and loving others doesn't mean that, you, that sin isn't a big deal. In fact, it's much bigger of a deal because you love people so deeply. See, We've used this currency of fear and, and we tried this on previous generations and honestly, and some of you are here and you were that generation and you said it didn't work. That's actually why I walked away. But there's a, there's a passage in Romans chapter 2 and I'm not sure why this doesn't get more airtime. In, in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, New Living Translation says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you does this mean nothing to you 
Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? What if someone had responded to your sin like that? What if someone had responded to your sin by not judging you or shaming you or stiff-arming you, but by loving you enough to invite you back the way Jesus did? See, Jesus didn't take sin lightly. In fact, it was a really big deal to him, so big of a deal that he, he actually gave his whole life for it. So, so he wasn't like, hey, let's love, 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 and let you know, none, and do, do sin, do whatever you want over here. No, he actually gave his life because of it. But yet, one thing that you never see in the writings in the Gospels is Jesus never used manipulation, fear, or guilt to draw people to himself. But yet we do. We all do. I mean, if you're a parent, you've done it. You might have done it on the way to church. Like, you, you want that donut? You better straighten up or you're going to get a smack instead of a donut. And, and they straightened up and they're used to that. But, but Jesus never did that. He didn't use guilt. He didn't use fear. He understood that kindness and love draws people back. And, and in fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul summarizes it like this. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we filter sin through love, it becomes a really big deal because sin always hurts people. And it becomes such a big deal because we love people so deeply, we do not want to see people hurt. You understand this if you're a parent. In fact, when you, you're a parent and you begin to discipline your children at a young age, you usually tack a consequence onto that discipline. My mom, she was pretty old school, and that consequence was usually a spanking. I know some of you like that, you don't do that, but my mom, she, didn't, she hadn't heard that speech yet, and so she did that. And so, so it was, and for her, it was, hey, when you do something wrong, when you sin, when you disobey, there's a consequence, and with that sin comes some hurt. And so from a young age, you begin to realize, hey, when I, when I do things wrong, there's a consequence that usually doesn't feel good on some level. And they say things like, well, this is going to hurt you, me more than it hurts you. You're like, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't get that yet. Uh, let, me try, let me spank you and let's see how this thing works out. But, but, but you understand that even from a, we try to help our children like, hey, when you go off to this path, there's pain that comes with it. And so don't go off that path because when you're older and you go on that path, the pain gets a lot worse than a little spanking. And so we understand how sin always hurts. It always hurts people. But when love is the filter we see sin through, love says you shouldn't do anything that will hurt you. Love says you shouldn't do anything that will hurt those around you. Love says you shouldn't do anything that will hurt your heavenly father. When you see sin through the filter of love, it changes the game. It doesn't lower the bar. It changes the game 
because we see it the way Jesus wanted us to see it. And because he deeply loves us, he doesn't want his children to do things that will hurt themselves or others. And, and, and you understand that if you're a parent. If, you have, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, you, you get that. And, and what if you viewed the way Jesus viewed it? Like, like, what if you viewed sin the way Jesus did? And you viewed it through, hey, this will hurt people. And because I love people, I'm not going to do it. And the filter was love. See, in John chapter 8, Jesus comes across, and there's a great example of this. He is, I, I'm not sure what he's doing at this point, but basically, uh, while he's just kind of doing his thing, the religious leaders come to Jesus. And if you read through the Gospels, the religious leaders tried so hard to kind of get Jesus to say something that he shouldn't. And they tried to try to trap him in different word things. And, and he always frustrated them because he always got the answer right and he always left them speechless. And so they were not smart, so they continued to try. And so this is another time, and this is where we see how Jesus kind of viewed sin compared to the religious crowd. In John chapter 8, it says this, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. And so they're trying to be kind of smart aleck, and so they call Jesus teacher. Hey, teacher, this lady that we got right here, we actually caught her actually in the act of adultery. So I don't understand. I mean, I, I kind of get what that means. But, I mean, they were really investigating and really trying to, to get this girl so they could put Jesus on the spot. And, and so they bring her right before Jesus. And then they, they remind Jesus of what Moses said because Moses is kind of their hero. So they say, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They waited for his response. And Jesus he, his response throws him off. And he does some things, and they, they continue to have a little conversation. But then in verse 11, this is Jesus' response. He says, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and, and stay away from sin. Sin no more. So the, these guys were, hey, Jesus, this, the law tells us that, man, we should actually take this lady out and stone her right now. What's your response? Because these guys were looking at sin through a list, and if they stayed on this list, they were okay. But man, this lady was breaking one of the big ones, and so man, we need to take care of her. Jesus, what do you say? Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Get away from that. It's hurting you. Just go. Don't do it anymore. Because Jesus saw it through the filter of love. See, there is no more law. Our filter from sin always goes back to love. And let's talk about a few things. Like, like, how does this play out? So in our sexual ethic, one of the things that there has become, there's so much condemnation around this subject, but the sexual ethic outside of God's plan. God says, hey, I created it. I, I created it. I want you to use it as I directed you to use it. But here's what the enemy says. The enemy wants to steal 
The enemy wants to kill. He wants to steal pleasure. He wants to steal intimacy. He wants to steal joy. He wants to kill your view of you. He wants to kill relationships. He wants to kill your clear conscience. And that's what the enemy's all about. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I love you so much. I do not want you to be hurt. I don't want you to hurt other people. I've given you this gift. And I want you to use it as I directed you to. Not because I'm trying to box you in. But because I love you and I know what's best for you. And that's how Jesus, that's why, oh, don't, don't do this, don't do this. And you think, why, 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 why? Because I love you. Because I know what's best for you. Because the enemy wants to kill, wants to destroy. And you've seen it happen. You've seen relationships killed. You've seen people's lives destroyed. And Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I don't want that for you. I've given you this gift. Do it things the right way. I've given you the way to do it. I've laid it out for you. Do it the right way. What what about something kind of on the inside that that maybe people don't see? Maybe bitterness. Maybe we're struggling with bitterness. And hey, nobody knows about this. I'm not hurting anybody else. And Jesus is saying, yes, you are. Because I made you in God's image. I have a plan for you. I want your life to make a difference. I don't want you to carry that baggage around because I love you. And you've been carrying that bitterness around. And you don't know it, but it's hurting you and it's hurting other people. That's why it's a big deal. Get rid of it. See, religion filters everything through an ever-changing list. Jesus filters everything through the ethic of love. And for some of us, that is just flat uncomfortable. Because in some ways, we feel like it's watered down if we say that. But, but here's, the summer, here's the bottom line. Sin keeps people from loving others, and sin keeps people from feeling loved. And Jesus gave his life to show that he loves. And he loves us so much that it's a big deal to him because he doesn't want us hurt. See, we should see sin through the filter of love, but not only should we see sin through the filter, but love should also be the filter for how we respond to sin. Not only should we see it through the filter of love, but we should respond to it in our life and in other people's lives through the filter of love. And this is where the church has jacked this thing up in a big way. See, Jesus, if you watch Jesus in the Gospels, he dealt with each individual differently. So he dealt with the woman at the well. If you were here last week, we talked about her. He dealt with her differently and, and her sin and, and what was going on in her life. He, he dealt with her in one way. He, he dealt with the rich young ruler one way. He dealt with the criminal on the cross next to him another way. He dealt with the, the lady that was caught in adultery another way. Back to John chapter 8, when, when Jesus is presented with this, these religious guys that bring this lady to him and say, hey, we caught her in the very act. What do you say? Jesus, verse 7 of John chapter 8, this is what he said. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Like, hey, whoever's perfect in the crowd, you go ahead and throw the first stone. 
And we don't know what Jesus did, but man, I wish we did. On, on the, we know that as Jesus is interacting with these people, this probably freaked them out. But he just gets down on the ground as he's having this conversation, and he starts writing something in the sand. Like, what in the world are you writing, Jesus? Some people think that he's writing out some of their specific sins. And so they're like, oh, oh, I didn't know anybody knew about that. Uh, but, but he's writing something. And while he's writing something and he, and he says to these guys that, hey, hey, if you, if you're, you know, while he's writing, if, if you've got a perfect life and you've never done anything, man, you go ahead, just don't hit me, but go ahead and throw, I'm just going to keep writing, you go ahead and throw this first stone. And then all of a sudden, while he start, continues to write, the crowd starts to thin to the point where, where Jesus, once he's done writing whatever he was writing, and I want to ask him one day, like, what were you writing? Man, we all want to know what you were writing. That Jesus stood up and he said, hey, where are all those guys that were ready to throw stones at you? Has no one condemned you? It was just Jesus and the lady at that point because Whatever Jesus had written and whatever uh, the, the thing that he said convicted them to the point where they just all quietly walked away, just, I don't want to deal with this. And it was just Jesus and the lady. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't condemn you either. Just go and leave your life of sin. It's hurting you. See, for us to filter our response through love, we have to remember some things. We have to remember that we've all been hurt by sin, but we've all hurt others with sin. See, as much as maybe you've been hurt, we all know that, man, we have hurt people just as much. And so for me to respond with pride towards someone else, for me to respond to, to someone without giving them hope, and for me to respond to maybe their worst day with, hey, let me tell you about my best day, that's not the right response. We need to remember that, man, just as much as people have hurt us, we have hurt other people. And that brings with it just a, a moment of clarity and humility when we respond to other people. I like what Carl Lentz said. He's a pastor of Hillsong in New York. He said this. He said, we need less fingers and more thumbs. I need less of this and I need more of this. Because... The, the Bible tells us in, in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So as I'm pointing a finger at you, I need to be pointing more thumbs at myself because I'm so sick inside. My heart is so sick. I don't even know how sick it is. I can't even understand how deceitful I am. That's what Jeremiah says. He says, you don't even get how ugly your own heart is. And yet, I want to point out to you your stuff when I need to be remembering that, man, my heart's more ugly than I even know it. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, this is so important to think about because we need to be aware that that self-righteousness, that anger is really just a manifestation of our own struggles. I love how the message says it in Romans chapter 2. It says, if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point fingers at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. 
judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. And, and, and for most of us, if you have ever been treated with anger or disdain because of sin that you know is wrong and you know you shouldn't have done it, but if someone has ever treated you like that, usually they're treating you like that with that self-righteousness because they've got a trunk full of a mess in their own heart. And they want to make sure that the finger never gets back to them. And yet Jesus says, you know what? You want to respond to people with humility and love because sin hurts people. And Jesus desperately wants people to obey his commands because it is what's best for them. Not because he's trying to box you in. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. And he's laid it out because you're his child. Just like you want what's best for your own kids. Sometimes, specifically, those of us that grew up in church, and if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, sometimes, if we're honest, we think that the title of Christian also comes with the title of moral police. Let's be honest. We, we, we think, man, follower of Jesus means I'm the moral police for everybody else. And instead of growing angry and using the Bible as a weapon with people who do not follow Jesus, we should love them the way Jesus did. Sometimes we expect people who haven't even signed up to follow Jesus to act like they've signed up to follow Jesus. And, and we, we're, we're the moral police telling them how bad they are. And we do it so ang in an angry way and with picket signs. And, and they're like, we didn't even sign up to follow your Jesus. Why would we do what he says? Why would I get angry at somebody that's not following Jesus who never said they were? But yet sometimes we respond to sin in other people's lives Almost from a place of like that we're the moral police for the, for the city or for the country. And Jesus says, you know what? The people that Jesus got most angry with were actually the people that went to church. They were actually the leaders of the church. The people that were on the front row of Jesus' talks, that he was skipping out on dinners with the religious crowd so he could go have dinner with them, were the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people that, that you weren't supposed to hang out with because it ruined your reputation. That's who Jesus spent time with. And it wasn't because he didn't think what they were doing was wrong or he was giving them a pass on all that. It was just like, I love you so much. And the way I'm going to show you that I love you is I'm going to spend time with you and I'm going to invite you to a better way. And that's what Jesus, how he did that. See, instead of using fear and manipulation in response to, to someone who is involved in something that's hurting them, we should respond with humility and concern because we love them. And here's what's great. One day, this whole thing's going to be over. Jesus has already paid the bill. And Jesus says, I have already paid the bill. I've already taken care of the penalty for sin. I've already got the keys of hell. I've already taken care of that. And I've done that, and I love you so much that I, I want a life for you that, that 
that to other people makes what I've done for you look attractive. Not angry, not manipulative, but attractive because you don't deserve what I've given you and and neither will the next person, but I give it freely because I love you. And when I see you mess up, when I see you choose your idea instead of my idea, I come to you lovingly because I want to help you get on the right path because I don't want to see you hurt and I don't want to see other people hurt. And that's Jesus. And and so as we, we begin to close... How do you see sin? How do you see sin? How do you filter sin? When you came in today, if you had to say, hey, I filter sin this way, would love be the filter that you've seen sin through? Or have you never thought of it that way? Jesus says, hey, the way people are going to know that you're a follower of mine is not the rules you keep. It's not how many Sundays you go to church. It's not did you read this book or did you do this thing. It's how do you love other people. And if our theology makes us treat people in a way that's not pleasing to God, we need to change our theology. Because Jesus said, man, I did this whole thing so that you would be able to love people the same way I loved you and gave myself for you. And so as we close, we need to see and respond to sin through the filter of hurt, not hatred. Maybe maybe today for you, it starts with just a prayer. It starts with maybe just a prayer in your own heart between you and and God that just says, Jesus, I want to feel hurt because of sin. I want to feel hurt rather than hatred. Help me filter sin in my own life and other people's lives through the filter of love the way you did. For some of us, that's, that's the next step. It's just literally just asking God, God, I have not been doing it this way. And I need your help to love people, and to see their best days and their worst days through a filter of love the way you did. See, give me that new filter, Jesus. Because maybe for some of us, man, we've been brought up 30, 20, 30 years with one filter. And today's maybe the, the first day that we've even thought about changing out that filter. Give me a new filter that loves people. Maybe for some of us, you're, you're like the, the lady in the, in the story. Maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it's something else. And, and Jesus' loving response to you today is, hey, I love you so much. You need to leave your life of sin because I don't want to see you hurt. And maybe for you, today's the day that, you know what, you just say, Today's the day that I'm, I'm going to make that change in my life. I've been going down a path, kind of doing the thing the way I want to do it, not the path that Jesus has for me. And I, I see, if I'm honest, how it's hurt me. I see how it's hurt other people. And Jesus is lovingly it, it, it just saying to you, hey, today, leave that life. Leave that life of sin. Get away from that. It's hurting you. It's hurting other people. And I don't want to see my kid hurt. And maybe today's the day that you, just in the quietness of your heart, hear those words from Jesus, I love you, I don't condemn you, but I don't want to see you hurt anymore. Leave your life of sin. 
And, and for most of us, we can't do that by ourselves. That's why we have community groups. That's why we gather together because we are dangerous when we're left to ourselves and we need each other. And maybe that's what we need to do today. Maybe it's just tell somebody, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm causing hurt in other people's lives. I want to leave that path. I need help. Maybe you're carrying a secret that nobody knows. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's one of those acceptable sins that is wrecking you on the inside that nobody knows about. And God's saying, leave it. I love you too much to let you ruin your life. See, the question that we need to ask ourselves as we move forward is, is what I'm doing going to hurt me? And is it going to hurt those around me? Let's bow and close our eyes as we just close up today as we think about how Jesus interacted with people that were involved in sin, that were involved in, in doing life in a way that was different than what he laid out for them. Jesus didn't condemn. He didn't get angry at them. In fact, he invited them to something better because he loved them. And maybe you're here this morning, and if you're honest, over the years you have seen sin through a filter that wasn't love. You found yourself angry at people. You found yourself almost despising people, specific people that were involved in different sin than you were involved in. Because we're all involved in it, we just pick the ones we get mad at. And maybe for you today, as you just quiet your heart before God, your, your invitation to Jesus is simply, Jesus, help me to see people the way you did. Help me to filter sin and respond to it through the filter of love. Lord, help me, change me. It's not natural for me, and Jesus will. Maybe you're here, and, and for you it's... Man, you understand this because right now you're involved in some things. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe it's things you've been kind of hiding for a long time. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's uh, anger towards someone. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's lust. I don't know what it is, but maybe, maybe you're dealing with it. And for you, you, you know you don't have to be convinced that it hurts you and it's hurting other people. You've seen that played out. Maybe you saw that played out in your parents' life and you're just doing the same thing they did and you know it hurts people. And today for you, your response to Jesus is, Jesus, I know you love me. I know you don't condemn me. Help me walk in your path. Help me to do things the way you laid out for them to be done because I know they're best and Jesus I trust you and for you today maybe it's as easy as just taking a step and saying you know what I've been fighting this thing for five ten years by myself I'm gonna get some more people involved because it isn't working Jesus I thank you for how you lovingly gave yourself Lord, you were an example when you were here on earth and you told us very clearly that the way we should be known in our city, in our family, in our country is for how we love the way you loved. And so God, I pray as we go forward that we would be the person in our office 
that we would be the family on our block, that we would be the church in our city that is known for loving people the way you did. In Jesus' name, amen.